If you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 30, we've kind of reached that passing through the midway point and we're heading towards the far end of this incredible book, this book of beginnings. And now as we begin to journey through some of the lives of the later patriarchs, specifically the life of Jacob, there's an awful lot of practical application uh, for our lives. And tonight is absolutely one of those times. Because one of the ways that the Bible speaks into our life is through what we can directly associate with the way that we work and the way that we live our lives in our day and time. Most of you in this room, undoubtedly, if you don't have one now, you either had one in the past or you will have one in the future, and that's you, you had a job, a meaningful way that the Lord is taking care of you and taking care of your families. And the Lord wants us to please God at work. He actually cares about what you do for a job, and he cares how you do it. He cares how you represent him, because everywhere that we go and everything that we do Uh, ultimately shines a light on the Lord in some way, shape, or form, and that can either be positive or negative. Sometimes when we're in the workplace, we almost try and divest ourselves of our our walk with the Lord so that we can't be blamed for the way that we are at work. And in this case, Jacob provides us with this incredible picture of how to interact with the world. And so I'm going to give you a little challenge as we journey through this passage, and as we pick up in verse 25, and we'll uh, finish up this chapter, but as you really look at what's going on here, I want you to just simply equate Laban, and where you see Laban, just kind of insert in your mind the world, a picture of the type of the world, and where you see Jacob, who will become Israel in not too distant future here in the book of Genesis the father of the nations, the father of the, the Jewish people, you can kind of in, insert the believer for Jacob's name. So as you look at this, we can look at it and apply it to our day and time, not just to a piece of the history uh, of the Jewish people, but a piece of our spiritual history in Christ. And so let's take a moment, we'll stop and pray, we'll pick up in verse 25. Uh, in a study I've entitled, Pleasing God at Work. Father, we thank you for your word and how it speaks into our moments today. Lord, this isn't just ancient history. Uh, This is a picture of how we ought to interact with those that uh, we come into contact with, especially as we earn earn a living, have a profession, take up a vocation. And so, God, would you speak to us Through your word, bless us with understanding and knowledge, wisdom into how you would have us live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 25, and we'll take down first through verse uh, 33. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban. So again, here's where I want you to make a little swap in your mind where the believer said to the world, to the unbeliever, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. I want you to just think for a moment how hard the world attempts to keep you trapped in its system. 
how hard the world works to kind of try and pull you into the way it functions. And if you don't believe that, you only have to watch about five minutes of television. The world is trying to entrap the believer into its system. It's trying to get you to think its way. It's trying to provoke you to believe that the best way for you to live your life in this world is the world's way. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go, for you know my service which I have done for you. And again, it's true. Very often, most of us probably do not work for, quote, Christian employers. Some of us have the privilege of doing that. Some of us are in full-time ministry. Some of us have the opportunity to work for predominantly Christians, but most of us interact and we do our our basic daily living uh, in the presence of and oftentimes for non-believers, people who don't know and really don't care much about the Lord. And so Laban, the world said to him, please stay if I found favor in your eyes, for I've learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Can I tell you that the world is very often taking notice of who you are as a believer, and they are not beyond taking advantage of you because you're a believer, because you have a different set of morals, because you live your life in a different way, because you will choose to do good even when faced with wrong, you will oftentimes be taken advantage of because you're a believer. We're often seen as soft. We're often seen as lacking that fervor and zeal to get out of bad situations. And in fact, just as Laban is trying to do here, the world is not beyond trying to lie to you to get you to believe something that's not true about the way it functions. We have to be careful in this world. Laban says, look, I've watched you. I've learned by experience. I've seen what you do that the Lord has blessed me because of you, Jacob. In in a sense, there's a piece of honesty there. And in a sense, he's basically saying, look, I'll take what I can get. If I can get it from you, that's good. And then he said, name me your wages and I'll give it. Seems like an honest question until you see how it actually works out. And so Jacob said to him, You know that I have served you and how your livestock has has been with me. For what you had before I came was little, and it's increased to a great amount, and the Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now, when shall I also provide for my own house the world doesn't like coughing up what you've given it and whether that's in the form of taxes or whether that's in the form of wages the world will try and keep everything that you give it and the system is effectively rigged against people who walk with the lord the system that we live in is the world system and praise god god is faithful even when we are faithless and even when the world system is stacked against us. But the question is an honest one. Look, I've been working for you for these past 20 years. When's it going to be my turn? And so he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, 
most important thing in this passage. I don't want anything from you. I don't want you to give me anything. I'm not asking for a favor. I'm not looking for you to do something for me. I want you to give me the opportunity to do it my way, to do it the Lord's way. You shall not give me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all of your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and the speckled ones among the goats, and they shall be my wages. Now, at first glance, this almost kind of seems a little bit laughable. It's like, okay, so he's going to take the spotted ones of each of of the types of animals that he's been watching over for the last 20 years. But I want you to see this from God's perspective. God gave Jacob a tremendous amount of wisdom. And he's placed him in this circumstance, in this situation, and he's now given Jacob leverage against Laban that Laban is unaware of. He's given him proprietary information And he's about to teach him how to use it correctly. Very often the Lord will work in your life and he's going to give you information. He's going to give you knowledge. He's going to give you a skill. He's going to give you talents and resources. He's going to put you into places and things and situations to where you actually will have, according to God's plan for your life, the upper hand. You need to be wise in talking to the Lord in these circumstances. Because if you simply attempt to do things the world's way, you're going to end up with the world's result. And so Jacob's making this request that on the outside probably seems like a good deal to Laban, to the world. Notice verse 33. So my righteousness will answer for me in a time to come. When you do God's things, God's way, it is God's responsibility to speak up for your character. It's God's responsibility to show himself faithful in your life. It is God's responsibility, his righteous in you through Christ Jesus, that will speak to the world because you have honored the Lord with what you do. When you honor the Lord, you have God on your side. Is in effect what Jacob is saying here. He's saying, look, I will let the righteousness of God speak through my life. I don't need your help. I don't need to do it your way. I'm asking you for a simple opportunity. You let me have the opportunity, and I'm going to let God do the speaking to you. A super important lesson for us in our world today. Because I see an awful lot of Christians that try and live a Christian life in the middle of a carnal environment by doing things the world's way, and it never works out for them very well. You end up in compromise. You end up having to to take the character of Christ and at least cover it, if not diminish it. And he says, look, my righteousness will answer for me in a time to come. You're going to know exactly who did this because I'm going to allow God to do it. And when the subject of my wages comes before you, Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen 
if it's with me. He says, look, I'm going to give you a way to actually judge this situation so that there will be absolutely no shame on me and no shame on my God, and I will earn every last cent that I have. And I pray that we take this to heart, that we look at it in our own lives and say, you know what? I want God to be well-pleased. I want my vocation. I want my work life, my profession established God's way. I want to be spotless and blameless before the Lord. I don't want to do things the world's way. And as stewards of God's things, remember that as a believer, our Bible teaches the basic principle that you and I don't own anything in actuality. We, we possess it. We are stewards of it. But it actually still belongs to God. It's really his. And so in that sense, everything that passes through our hands actually came from God and ultimately will end up in God's control. And ultimately, all of it actually belongs to him. And it is God that can stop us from being a slave to the world system. And I want to share with you a couple of passages They're probably familiar to many of you. And they're in Proverbs 22, verses 6 and 7. It first says in verse 6, Train up a child in the way he shall go, or she shall go, or they shall go. And when he, or she, or they are old, they'll not depart from it. But it has always been very interesting to me what follows next. Verse 7, For the rich rules over the poor, And the borrower is always slave to the lender. So in the context of training up our children in the way that they should go, the very next thing that Solomon says is, look, don't be a slave to the world. Don't let your kids be a slave to the world. Don't put yourself in a situation to where you're going to have to kowtow to the rich. And the only way to do that is for you to take control of your own family's finances. And if you're unwilling to do that, then I can tell you who will control your family's finances. The world. If you don't take seriously this call upon our lives that's shown here in the life of Jacob, that's repeatedly spoken of throughout Scripture, specifically in the book of Proverbs and in the Psalms as well, brought forward into the New Testament in the way that Paul addresses how we should carry ourselves in a financial way, that Jesus himself said, if you're a a sparse giver, then don't expect to get much from God. He's really saying, look, as far as the world is concerned, it thinks it has the upper hand. But as far as God's concerned, he actually has the upper hand if you'll let him have the opportunity to do that. If you'll do things his way. And the chief way that we can do that is by not becoming a slave to being a borrower. When we borrow from anyone, and it doesn't matter whether that's a believer or an unbeliever. In the context of that passage in Proverbs 22, it says basically the person who borrows from somebody else owes a debt to the person that they borrowed it from. And as long as you have that debt, then in essence, there is a sense that you are a slave to that person or that organization. 
So when we get ourselves into a situation financially to where we are constantly borrowing from the world system, guess who we're a slave to? The world system. Those credit cards with 19, 20, 25% interest. Those payday loans. Those things that admittedly sometimes from your perspective, from someone's perspective, there may be no other way, and I'm not trying to condemn anyone, but the sooner you can get yourself away from the world system financially to where you control your own family's fortune, your own family's resources, the sooner you will not be a slave to the world system. And so for believers... Our goal should always be to get debt free. We should attempt to get out of debt, not get into debt. And that is exactly what Jacob is doing here. He's saying, look, I'm not looking for a handout. I am not looking for you to give me anything. I'm looking for you to give me an opportunity because I don't want to be your slave anymore. I don't want you to exercise authority over me anymore. I want to be able to take my own family where my own family belongs. This principle ties into 1 Timothy 5.8, for if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his household, in other words, our own families, he's denied the faith he's worse than an unbeliever. And again, no condemnation. It's simply saying, look, if, if you want to be able to be completely independent of the world system, then you have to take control of your own family's finances. And that's going to take hard work and it's going to take effort. Notice that Jacob is not saying, I want you to set me up for life. I'm going to take all these things and I want you to do it for me. He's saying, give me the opportunity. I'll take the spotted sheep. I'll I'll, I'll take the the multicolored lambs. I, I will take the off cast of what you have and I'm going to go work for it so that what I produce, I get to keep. You don't get to keep it. For us as a church, it's time to stop working for Laban and it's time to start building a future for our own families. One of the things when I talk to young people, especially uh, young people that are about to get married, married, very often, and I'm speaking to mostly moms and dads tonight, those of us who are a little bit older, I've grown up in a day and time where I've watched Connie and I's wedding cost $300. Now, admittedly, we're slightly older than many of you in this room. It was 300 bucks. 300 bucks was a lot of money back then. Back when there were dinosaurs still roaming the earth. $300 was still a bunch of money, but $300 was not the equivalent of what I've watched an awful lot of young people spend on a wedding. I've watched well-meaning moms and dads kowtow to their daughters and their sons and drop 20, 30, 40, 50,000 dollars on weddings. Can I give you a little bit of a just an encouragement? Put them in a house. Put them in a house. Oh, look, honey, I love you. 
but you ain't going to remember that fluffy white chocolate multi-dip tart that's going to be on your table. But you are going to be a slave to whoever you borrow from. So if you're in a house, you're starting to secure your own family's future instead of making sure that you're going to be a borrower for the rest of your days. Now, if I just offended somebody, I'm sorry, you can talk to me later. But, but I'm telling you, your children will thank you just a few years after that wedding. They, they may go, I can't believe you won't let me do this. But it's time that we stop buying into the world system. It's time that we as a church go, you know what? I'm not giving my money away to Laban. Sorry, I'm not doing it. I want to leave an inheritance to my children's children. And you can't do that if you owe all of your money to Laban. This principle, if lived out, would enable the church to do a tremendous amount of things that right now we can't do. Laban wasn't interested in Jacob's God. He was interested in Jacob's blessings. Laban wanted to work Jacob to the bone and kill Jacob if possible as long as he got rich doing it. Same thing exists today in our world. The world wants to keep you in bondage to the way it functions. That's why when you, this, this, as we go through the holiday season each year, have you ever stopped for a couple of minutes to watch some of the commercials that are on television? Seriously? His and hers Lexus? Seriously. I mean, if you're really, really wealthy, that's still ridiculous. It's insane. It's crazy. So here's what happens. There's like five people that could actually afford to do that and pay for it with cash so that they're not in bondage. But the rest of the people look at people who do those kind of things. Well, well, she got a Lexus for Christmas. Well, he got a got his wife a five carat diamond and then you're like oh well you know I, I'm really a scum I could only afford four carats and so what do you do you go charge it you go put it on credit and then that three thousand dollar thing becomes a ten thousand dollar thing in Jesus name don't become a slave to Laban that's slavery to Laban Laban's trying to keep you right where you are in the middle of Padam Aram. Doesn't want you to go home to your own house. He wants you to work for mammon. You see, because it was at Bethel, the house of God, that God had promised to bless Jacob. It was not in Padam Aram. It wasn't where the world was. It was where God was that he was promised to be blessed. Jacob now is getting that urge to strike out. And and as you look at the world and the way it functions today, if you want to work for Laban, Laban will let you do that. If you want to buy big ticket things that you can't afford, Laban will let you do that. If you want to turn over your car every two or three years, Laban will let you do that. 
We have to think wisely on these things. And here we see Jacob going, look, I just need an opportunity, and I know my God is able to prosper me. Now, sometimes when you begin, it doesn't look like this is going to work out all that well. It's like, well, really? But Jacob was simply asking for a new start. And I'm going to tell you right now that many people, all they need is a new start. They don't actually need all that much help. They just need to stop, consider what they're doing, and start over. Maybe some tonight need that. But notice what Jacob wanted to do in that new start. He wanted nothing from the world, and he wanted to be good with God. That should be our goal in everything that we do in matters of stewardship. I do not want anything from this world, and I want to be right with God. These principles will last you a lifetime. You see, Laban was still in the world. Ephesians chapter 4, there, verse 20, it says, But you've not so learned these things from Christ, if indeed you've heard and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to his deceitful lusts. The world has different goals and objectives than we do as a church. And it tries to get us to think about the things that it wants for us in such a way that we will give anything to have them. And it's super dangerous. I've watched especially young believers try and stay one foot in the world and one foot with the Lord. And no place is that more visible than in the area of their vocation. They're doing something they know doesn't honor the Lord. They're doing something that they know is going the wrong direction. They're doing something that they absolutely understand is not what God wants for them, but it pays well. Be careful. Be careful. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God, amen? But we're to put off the old man and be renewed in the spirit of our mind and put on the new man, which is created according to God in true holiness and righteousness. You see, the standard for us is that we would be able to say, this is what God would do in this situation. That's what righteousness actually is, practically speaking. It's if you ask God to do for you that which you're going to do, that God would do it the way you're going to do it. That equals righteousness in practical Christian living. In other words, we're going to stick out. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but if you show up at a Raider game in a pink tutu, you're going to stick out. You're going to really stick out. You're supposed to stick out as a Christian. You're actually not supposed to fit in. Do you know that? Apostle Paul said we're out of our minds for the sake of Christ. That means that we ought to be a little bit different than the world. Amen? And the reason I'm saying this is this is, a, this is the trap. The world says, well, you don't want to stick out. The world says you want to have everything that everybody else has. You want to get it the same way they do. They don't own anything. Why don't you just borrow yourself into oblivion? 
It's going to try and get a grip on you just the way Laban is trying to get a grip on Jacob right here in this passage. And I want you to notice something. All Jacob had to do was name his price. And Laban's saying, I'll I'll give it to you. When you start to barter with the world, the world for a time will give you what you've asked for. And then there comes a time when you've got to pay. And then there comes a time when you've got to pay what you've actually gotten. And oh, by the way, it isn't going to be the price that was promised. Because the world doesn't play fair. It doesn't keep its word. It doesn't honor what it says. A very large percentage of the time, the world is just going to do whatever the world wants to do. I've watched specifically man after man invest their future, their family's future, in dubious things. Only to have to do that start over multiple times. Because they know going in, "Eh, this really isn't what the Lord wants me to do. But they won't stop long enough to say, look, is this of God or is this not of God? You see, when you look at this at first glance, it almost seems like Laban's trying to be generous. But he's not trying to be generous. He's actually trying to gain advantage. He's trying to figure out some way to put Jacob in the secondary position. The world will always try and do that to you. It has many enchantments. I went round and round. Probably some of you got caught up in it. You remember when we had the mortgage crisis and there were all these mortgages that were being written and you know, they had one or you know, two or three terms and they were five-year terms and they would roll over and then the interest rate would go up. Do you know how many Christians got baited into buying a house they couldn't afford? Because they saw the initial interest rate and they were banking on the world system. And this is how it went down. The house would always go up. The interest rate would eventually go down. Guess what happened? The house did not always go up. The house went down. And the interest rate went up. And I sat with couple after couple after couple going, we've lost all of our equity. And I said, well, how did, how did this happen? Can you help me understand? Well, we had a no interest loan. There's no such thing as a no-interest loan from the world. There will always be a catch. Because the world's trying to destroy you. Because it's run by the enemy. And he does not have good thoughts towards you, like the Lord does. Be careful. Some of those old axioms that we throw around are actually true. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. It's true. Be careful. Be wise. We see Jacob being very wise here. But we also see him being an example. Notice what it says. The question is asked by Laban, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. I don't want anything from the world. I'm not interested. 
Jacob through the years had probably not said much about this. He just kept his head down and kept working. And his character had shown through during that period of time. But the whole time, Jacob was growing in knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And he had actually become the source of some information that, were going to, that was going to be to his benefit. And now God's putting him in a position where he can do something with it. But he didn't lose his character. He didn't have to give up who he was as, as a believer in the God of Abraham. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Kind of gives us this picture of us being an example to the world. Making sure that the world, when it sees us, sees the Lord. And whatever you do, do it heartily. Do it with the whole heart. Do it with everything that is within us as unto the Lord. In other words, what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Colossae is anytime you endeavor to do anything in this life, do it with everything that you have and do it as though you were doing it for no other reason than to be pleasing to God. You give him your best and you can count on him. Not to men. Knowing, verse 24 says, that from the Lord you will receive the reward of an inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong, he who tries the shortcuts, he who tries to do it the world's way, he who gives up on the principles that we know as Christians we ought to be living by, he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, And there's no partiality with God. God's not going to bail you out of every single financial situation. Probably some of you can remember some of the MLM, the multi-level marketing things that have been floating around in our lifetime. You know, anytime someone comes to you and says that you can buy this $75 a pound chocolate and you're going to be healthier for it, you ought to know something's wrong, okay? Just saying. But when you endeavor to do things the world's way, when you have to then go out and get other people involved in your process, and ultimately you're not actually selling something that's going to be good for the people that you're selling it to, you're supposed to stop and go, you know, is this really something God wants me to do? But then you go online, you read all the testimonies. I made $7 million the first three days. And the whole time God's going, hmm, probably not. When you endeavor to do things the world's way, you're going to suffer the same consequences that people in the world suffer all the time. There is a place in the life of every believer that it can only be filled by God. And when we get into these circumstances and situations, we're supposed to be turning to the Lord. And say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to conduct myself? Can I tell you what God's going to tell you? He's going to say, Jeff, I never want you to compromise your character. Jeff, I never want you to be dishonest. I never want you to walk in fear of the ramifications of the decision that you're making. He's not going to tell you to be in harm's way. 
He's going to pull you out of those situations. He's going to say, look, I'd rather you had three jobs than have one bad one that pays a whole bunch of money. Because once that comes down, you're going to suffer the consequences for it. I want you to notice something here. Laban had become very wealthy under the stewardship of Jacob. So there was something that was going on, even though he had yet to receive the blessing of it. There was something going on in Jacob's life that is probably going on in your life right now. And that's God's teaching you something right where you're at. He's working in your life and he's developing character. He's developing proprietary information. He's doing things in your life, just like he's doing here with Jacob. Jacob had been watching these flocks in this land for a very long time, for 20 years. And the whole time, he's being a student of the environment that he's in. He's learning everything he possibly can about raising these flocks here in this part of the world. And so we can see Jacob here taking the hard road, if you will. He's not taking the easy way out. And he is willing to put himself on the mercy of God and do things God's way, then take the easy way, the world's way out. And all this time, God is honoring these things in Jacob's heart. It's like, here, Jacob, I'm going to bless you for this, but you've got to trust me. He says, look, I, I want you to, these speckled and spotted animals that the world says are off-cast, they're not the right color, I want you to take all those. I want you to take what looks like a bad deal and I'm going to show you how to turn a bad deal into a good deal. Because that's what God does in our lives. I can give you proof of that. It's us. Bad deals, he's turned into good deals. Amen? Amen. He's worked in our lives. He's transformed us and, and taken us who used to be trash and made us into treasure. Amen? Used to be garbage and made us into gold. Amen? He does that all the time. He's able God's hands are not handcuffed by the world system. But he is waiting for us to surrender ourselves to him and say, God, I just want to be right with you. I want you to have a favorable opinion of me. Jacob has no breeding stock of his own. He's invested all of his time. And so what does he do? He doesn't ask for a handout. He asks for the means to start his own company. He's looking for this idea. He, he's looking for a way to begin his own business enterprises. And he's looking in a most unusual place. He's not saying, hey, can you give me half of your flock? He said, I'll, I'll take the, the leftovers of your flock and I'll trust God with it. And God's going to bless him. Basically, he uses his head. Do you know that God gave you a brain for a reason? <laughs> Sometimes I talk to Christians, and it's almost, almost like talking to people who think it's a sin to think. Well, you know, I'm just living by faith. They kind of have this faraway look. They're looking at the wall like the wall's going to do something for them. No, God gave you a brain for a reason. You're supposed to use it. That's exactly what Jacob is doing here. Verse 35, and so he removed that day the male goats that were speckled 
and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted every one that had some white on it and all the brown ones among the lambs and gave them into the hands of his sons. And then he put three days journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Notice how the world's not playing fair here. He's saying, look, I'm going to take all these ones that you're supposedly going to get, and I'm going to have my kids watch over them. Can I tell you, when you are right with the Lord, there is no amount of things that the world can do to negotiate that's going to keep God from blessing you. You do things God's way, and it's God's responsibility to make good on his promise and that he will supply all of your needs. you got two bodies of animals here, and they're separated by three days' journey. But Jacob's thinking, verse 37. And now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar, of almond and chestnut trees, and peeled white strips in them. I don't know if you've ever done this. Young green sticks, if you begin to peel off the bark, the outer layer, you can, you know, you can make stripes and all kinds of wonderful things out of it. It's one of our favorite things to do when we're backpacking as we make sticks to cook our biscuits on. So we take and peel them and decorate them and make them look like snakes and all kinds of weird things. But you can peel the bark off so that the white layer of the Cambrian layer underneath the bark shines through it. That's exactly what Jacob is going to do. And exposed the white which was in the rods. And the, the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks and the gutters and the watering troughs where there were flocks as they came to drink so that they should conceive when they came to drink. It's an interesting word there, conceived in the Hebrew. It actually means they became hot or they became in heat. And so the flocks conceived before the rods and the flocks were brought forth, streaked, speckled, and spotted. And then Jacob separated the lambs and made flock, the flocks face towards the streaked and all the brown and flock of Laban. And he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. He's basically practicing Mendelian genetics here and selective breeding. He's saying, look, I got a plan. Laban thinks he's got a one up on me. I'm going to take all these flocks and I'm going to isolate them so that the only ones that they're breeding with are the ones that are going to be spotted and speckled and the colors that are going to be mine. He said, I don't need a lot of those. I just need to be able to do these things for myself. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. And the flocks that were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. The dude's pretty crafty. He's going like, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take these ones that are a little less productive already, but they're the right color, and I'm going to give those to Laban. And I'm going to take the ones that are the wrong color, that are reproducing like nobody's business, and I'm going to make those mine, and I'm going to separate them so that that's all there are. He's basically killing off Laban's flock by tending them himself. He's doing the work and allowing his flock to grow while watching Laban's die out. And Laban's cool with it because Laban doesn't have to do anything. 
God gave you a brain. Use it. He's being very, very, very wise in this passage. And thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks of female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Now it doesn't say here that Jacob went off to college and got a degree in animal husbandry. It doesn't, we're not told uh, how these things happened. We don't know whether it was the sight of these rods or whether in these particular plants there were certain types of chemicals that induced you know, some type of a chemical response in the, in the water in the trial. We don't know. But what we do know is he is selectively breeding these animals so that there is a, a very dependent result upon how he allows them to be in what field. And that's under Jacob's control. So he says, as they come in to, to feed, as they come in to drink of the spring, he's saying, look, I'll look at them, I'll watch them while they're doing this. And when I see them vigorous, I'll take them out as long as they're spotted. And I'll put them with the rest of them. He's watching which ones are conceiving the most. He's using his head. You have to watch what's going on in the world around you. Sometimes I get so frustrated with Christians because they think the answer to everything is isolating themselves away from everything in the world. Well, I don't watch TV. I never read a magazine. I don't listen to the news. I don't do any of these things. I just, I, I sit in a closet inside of my house so that the devil can't see me. And then they wonder why they're about as smart as a brick. They haven't figured out much of anything in the world because they're not even attempting It is a good thing for us to keep an eye on the world because we're supposed to be the ones who are the head and not the tail. Amen? But you can't do that if you just think the world's got your best interest in mind and so you're going to go hide so you don't get anything on you. Look, if you're walking in this world, let me tell you something. You're going to get something on you. You're going to hear something you don't want to hear. You're going to see something you don't want to see. That's the world. We live in it. We're just not of it. Amen? So we have to have the right attitude while walking in this world. We have to get from the world what the Lord wants us to have while at the same time not letting the world take from us what belongs to God. You got to be smart. You need to think it through. You need to use what God's given you. Just like Daniel. We've got to trust God. Daniel's life. When you, when you read the book of Daniel, the first thing that you realize, man, God did this. Amen? God did it. It's like the dude's going to get thrown in the lion's den. He's going to get cast into the fiery furnace. It's like, what else is going to go wrong? But every time, who was faithful? God. Every time, who did Daniel trust? God. What did Daniel refuse to do? He refused to take from the world. He says, I will not eat of the king's delicacies. I don't want anything off your table. I'm going to go vegan. I realize that's nice prime rib, but I'm, I'm, give me some lentils. And what happened? God prospered him. So much so that it didn't 
infuriates the king. He says, look, your countenance is getting better. You're starving yourself and you look better than I do. It's because God's hand was on him. And so here we find Jacob stepping into a, an area of science that really wouldn't be fleshed out for about 3,000 years. All of a sudden he's looking at these homozygous traits and these heterozygous traits and he's going, you know, if I put these two together, you know what? I'm going to continue to get nothing but spotted ones. And I'll take these weak ones that are the right color and I'll let them breed together and they're all croaking. So pretty soon, guess who's going to be the rich guy on the block? Going to be Jacob. Because he did things God's way. He refused to give in to the world. Some people look at this and they go, well, you know, the Bible's just, that's just ridiculous. It's unscientific. And while there is no scientific evidence that these things that Jacob is doing here, I'm going to encourage you to go, you know, get some goats and peel some sticks and stick them in a water trough because scientifically we can prove that something happened. But there are a handful of things that you can look at that was actually pretty easily discernible here. One was he was selecting and culling out the herd and taking the very strongest of the animals. The second thing was he was looking for traits that were identifiable, that were passed on genetically so that he could continue to build the flock that he was supposed to have through, in essence, selective breeding. He wasn't saying that there's going to be some kind of prenatal influence on these particular, you know, these particular goats and sheep that all of a sudden putting something in the water was going to make them you know, turn color or whatever. But what he was doing is he was being faithful to God. God told him to do it. Anybody in here ever had a miracle happen in your life? I have. God done something in your life that the world says can't happen? If you're in here and you've ever struggled with alcohol and you no longer struggle with alcohol, you're a walking miracle according to the world. You're a walking miracle. You are a walking miracle according to the world. Same thing is true with drugs. Addictive drugs. You're a walking miracle. If your marriage has been restored, there's no way you can forgive that. And God not only helped you forgive it, but has made your marriage better than it was before. You're a walking miracle. So Christians say, well, you know, this whole miracle thing, I'm just not comfortable with that. Sure you are. Because the fact that you're going to heaven is a miracle. Amen? Because I wouldn't want you in heaven. No, seriously. Think about it for a second. If you were selecting out of all the people on the earth, are you going to pick you? You're not picking you. Don't be surprised that everybody else won't either. So in that sense, we're walking miracles. God's actually chosen you before the foundation of the world. That's a miracle. So people are going, well, you know, it sticks. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, I mean, sticks in the water. Ah, you know, and they start to lose their mind over it. It's like, God just told him to put sticks in there. Why he did it, we don't know. We know what happened, though. It worked. Because Jacob was faithful. Jacob said, God, if you say it, I'll do it. And one of the things I've always drawn from this passage is this. Can you imagine how freaked out Laban was? Laban's going, 
I don't get it, man. The guy goes out and he takes these sticks and he peels the bark off them and somehow his flocks grow. I go do the same thing with my sticks and put them in there and nothing happens. Well, that's because the smart Jacob has given him the bad animals and he's trying to get the bad animals to breed and he's using God's tools in an ungodly way and God's not blessing it. Guess what the secret is? God. It's doing it God's way. It's taking what God has said and saying, God, I believe in you and I am going to do exactly what you tell me to do. That is the secret for success in life. Do God's things God's way. It's not a matter of it being unscientific. It's just simple selective breeding. And it's somebody taking the initiative to just listen to the Lord. Maybe there were some chemicals in there that might have influenced some type of process genetically through DNA. We don't know. There are some chemicals that can do that, providing that the chemicals get to the DNA. They would have to get to the stem cells or be implanted somehow into the embryo. There are some things that could do that that are contained in these trees, but it doesn't really matter. What we do know is God was at work. And what I know is God's at work in my life. I know God actually speaks to me. And people go, well, you know, it's kind of, that's a little weird. Well, your Bible says God speaks to people all the time. Be kind of dumb for us to pray if God never answers, amen? We're talking to him, he's listening. What we do know is as we look at this passage, it's like, Lord, you were actually speaking to him. You were doing something unique and wonderful. You're the God of conception. You're the God of sheep. You're the God of goats and cattle. You're the one that made the first camel. I'm sure you can make some additional ones. You see, when I put God in his place, in my life, then all the things that he's shown me have purpose because I'm looking at the world through his lens. I'm seeing the world the way he wants me to see it. I'm doing things the way he wants me to do it. And so whatever profession you decide on, in this case, it's animal husbandry. He's a sheep rancher, if you will. If that's engineering, if that's medicine, if that's construction, maybe, maybe that's nursing, maybe you're a teacher. Perhaps you're just starting out. Maybe you're in college right now and you're trying to figure that out. The secret is let God be at work in your life and everything you do, seek to be pleasing to him. And remember, everything you have actually belongs, it's on loan from God. It actually belongs to him. And he is very concerned with how you live your life. And he wants to bless you, but he will only bless that which blesses him. God may fix our messes, but he blesses our obedience. God God works in those times when we don't do things the way he wants us to do it. And so basically the, the word to us in this passage is, 
We got to be disciplined. Jacob was disciplined. He said, look, I'm going to do this. It's going to take 20 years. But I'm going to do it. He was professional. He didn't take advantage of any situation. He's not stealing from Laban. Well, Laban's a slave driver, so I'll just take take his stuff. He didn't do that. He was very professional. He was shrewd. He refused to be taken advantage of. He used his head. He used his mind. He used his cunning. He developed some crazy proprietary practices. Do you realize how many millionaires there are that never went to college? You know why that is? Because generally they actually use their brains. Instead of going to school and thinking they're going to get brains by going to school. Now you can do that. And it can be a really good thing. But it's far better that you listen to the Lord, do what he tells you to do. And if he gives you some proprietary bricklaying concept, you may be way better off than getting a degree in business management. Because God can use you right where you're at. He can make you prosperous in any field or any endeavor. So develop those practices that God's shown you. Protect them, patent them, copyright them, and then use them for his glory. Amen? Would you stand with me and we'll pray. The goal is to not be a slave to the world. The goal is to be pleasing to God in everything. Amen? Father, we thank you tonight that we can release these things that for many of us are troubling. Lord, they're hard. They're difficult. We live in this world and the world tries to exact a very steep price from our lives. Lord seeks to crush us on a daily basis, tries to take all that uh, we've endeavored to to build up, to be able to save, to, to give an inheritance to our children's children to get out of debt, to do these things that we know you want us to do. And so, Lord, we're asking you tonight to help us. Lord, we need you to help us to be wise and and gentle as doves and yet at the same time wise as serpents, Lord. The, The world will attempt to take advantage of us, and we pray that you'd cause us to see those traps and avoid them. Lord, I pray if there's someone here tonight, Lord, maybe they're really in bondage to the world system. God, pave a way. Lord, pave a way for them to be set free from the the dictates of the world, the slavery of being in debt constantly. Lord, we ask that you would bless us as your people and encourage us and strengthen us and lift us up and use the minds that you've given us for your glory. We pray that in this room there would be wonderful new products invented and new technologies businesses started that can hire people and pay them great wages God where we are already working we ask that you'd give us a great favor pray that you'd promote us to the tops Lord of the departments that we're in God that you would make us exemplary employees that people would look at and say "What's, what's different with you and we could tell them we serve the true and the living God Lord, would all of our possessions that we are stewards over still be in your hands, Lord, for you to tell us what you want to do with them. Thank you for blessing us so richly and filling us with your spirit so that we can hear these things and do something with them. 
Help us to be pleasing, God, to you in all that we do and say every day, whether it's at work or at home. In Jesus' name, amen.